Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of the podcast. We're doing another Ask Carrie, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, do we get questions around here all the time on like social media, uh, on uh, SpeakPipe, that little widget. That's where all of these are from. And we got more than we can get to, even with a week of bonus episodes. But we wanted to celebrate by making you the listener, the hero, because you really are the hero. You have made this two-year journey so, so, so rewarding. And I just want to thank you so much for that. And this is the very first time we've ever released a podcast on a Saturday. How about that, eh? And for those of you who are new subscribers, thanks so much for subscribing. I promise you, normally it's one a week, but we're just doing these shorter ones as a way of answering your questions and hopefully um, furthering the whole cause of leadership, that journey that you and I are on. Hey, for everybody who was in Atlanta yesterday at the Orange Tour, that was amazing. If you're wondering where we can connect later this month, I'm going to be in California just outside of Los Angeles, not next week, but the week after from the 20th to the 22nd, then in Denver on Friday, the 23rd. I'll also be in Richmond, Virginia at the very end of September, September 30th on the Friday. So if you're anywhere near those cities, hey, we can connect. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you want more details, you can go to orangetour.org. But today, We are answering your questions. And so we are going to start right now with a question from Chuck. Carrie, could you talk about how or write a blog post about your Christmas Eve services? You've written a couple uh, a few years back about 10 ways to leverage Christmas, seven ways to rethink Christmas. But I'd like to actually hear or maybe even see like an order of worship for your Christmas Eve service, what you actually did to engage unchurched people on Christmas Eve. Would love to see that as we're in the midst of planning our Christmas Eve services right now. So appreciate all you've done with the blog and with the uh, podcast, of course. And it's really, really helpful. Thanks so much. Chuck, I'm glad you're asking the question now, because if you're not, it's going to be too late to do something major at Christmas. And here's here's what I found, and this is why Christmas is such a big deal. See, I'm Canadian, so if you're in the Northeast or the uh, West or the Northwest or even California, you probably realize you're in a pretty post-Christian culture, and I'm sure other pockets of the U.S. or, or the globe as well. Uh, but in Canada, we're very much a post-Christian, post-modern culture. And so there's not too many times where the secular calendar and the Christian calendar line up. For example, it's not unusual Easter weekend to hear people just in the media say, hey, it's the first long weekend of summer. It's like, no, it's Easter, but they just call it the first long weekend of summer. And so, you know, that that Easter is not a really big deal in our culture now. Actually, for the very first time, having said that, our Easter services outdrew our Christmas services, which is rather miraculous because we will often 2x our attendance at Christmas. And the reason I zeroed in on Christmas early on as a leader was I realized it's the only time our culture kind of goes, oh, yeah, Christianity. Uh, For example, you go to the malls, they're playing Christmas carols. You look at people, they decorate their houses. People have Christmas trees. And even people who don't believe anything spiritually or or wouldn't consider themselves Christian will still realize it's Christmas. And I know there's that whole debate about, well, is it happy holidays or, you know, they've taken Jesus out of the season. No, I, I get that. You can play that game. You can cry about it, whatever you want. Or you can just say, hmm, we've got a cultural point still 
where we can actually connect with people. And so over the years, we've evolved our Christmas strategy to be our biggest outreach event of the year because people who would never normally be in church will show up to a really good service. A few years ago, we took the branding even further. So we had always done well with our Christmas Eve services and so on. But instead of branding them to the church or instead of branding them to like, you know, the theme of the year, you know, whether it was a light has dawned or something like that, uh, we just decided to uh, actually buy the URLs of the cities we were in. So uh, we're in two cities north of Toronto called Barrie and Aurelia. So we bought Christmas in Barrie and Christmas in Aurelia. Dot com. And we branded our Christmas Eve experiences that way. You know, join us for Christmas in Aurelia, join us for Christmas in Barrie. So families that were, are looking for something to do uh, would be able to come to us and go, oh, well, this is where, you know, Christmas in Barrie is happening or that sort of thing. And of course, we're going to present the gospel to them. So uh, Christmas has become really, really big for us that way. Then last year, we took it to another level we did our branding even more intentionally and went to start a new family tradition. That's where we saw another attendance spike. We also ticket the events in part because we're out of space, but in part because scarcity drives value. So the tickets are free, but it's like, hey, make sure you invite your friends, get tickets for them and so on. It's really easy to hand like an invite card, a rave card to a friend and say, join me for Christmas in Barrie, join me for Christmas in Aurelia. Now, this year, we're taking it even further. We're going to stretch all of our resources. We're going to do Christmas in four cities. So two places where we don't normally have a presence, we're going to go a little bit north and a little bit west. And then next year, who knows, we could do it in six cities or whatever. But uh, we want to bring the gospel into different cities that are looking for, you know, ripe ground for the kind of place where the family who's going, huh, we have some vague notion of what Christmas is about. We should probably do something with the kids. Oh, look at this. We could do this. So, you know, now I think we're calling it Christmas for the city or Christmas in the city this this Christmas. So we're pretty excited about that. And so those are some ideas to help it scale. What happens in the service? We do Christmas carols, um, but we do them in our style. You know, we just make them a, a lot more contemporary. We do the full band. I will usually do a video message. It allows me to be in multiple places at the same time. We'll pre-record it, and it's short. It's like 15 minutes or so. We offer childcare for the youngest kids, but once they hit four or five, a lot of parents want them in the service. Um, honestly, that used to be like my least favorite service of the year because... I have a really hard time preaching over crying children. I just have a hard time. I'm not going to make a Donald Trump joke here, but I mean, man, it is really difficult. And when we went to video, I get a great delivery every time because we just hit play. So I'm not distracted. That's worked really, really well for us. Plus, we're running simultaneous services, especially this year, you know, in four cities. It's going to be difficult. Um, another tip on Christmas that we found is the earlier we go, the better. Young families, now this varies depending on the year, you know, it's Christmas on a Sunday, a Saturday, a Friday, a Wednesday or whatever. Uh, we try to go early because a lot of people will have the 24th off or they'll get off at lunch. So we'll start our services. I think this year we're going to start, we're going to do one, three, five, and seven at our Barry location. We're going to do five and seven in Aurelia because of the venue. It's like an opera house, so it's going to be really cool. In other cities, we're doing one service or two services. I'm not not sure which because uh, we're finalizing those details. But we find that 
families, really young families love the one in three o'clock option. And that's at our permanent facility, our central facility. And then five and seven, five still allows people to have dinner. Seven, if you're working retail, you're off at six o'clock. On Christmas Eve, you can still get to a service. And then we found diminishing returns with later services. So we just don't do them. But you know, if you're in an area that's heavily Roman Catholic, like a midnight mass or a 10 o'clock might work really, really well. By that time, our team's exhausted and ready to go home. We also, when Christmas falls on a Sunday, generally do not do Sunday, Christmas, Sunday services because we put all of our eggs in the Christmas Eve basket. So that's a little bit check about what we've done with Christmas Eve. And it's really, really helped us. And a lot of stories get started on Christmas Eve. Oh, the last thing I should tell you is we also hand out a rave card, an invite card for our next series that starts in January. So we did that last Christmas and we did a series called Doing Time. And it was all about the the drudgery of work. And so it felt like a real shift. We almost didn't play the trailer in the Christmas Eve service because, I mean, we opened with Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah Chorus and, you know, it was amazing and all these lights and it was so cool. It was extremely hipster, actually, the way we did it. Uh, and then, like, to run that later in the service just felt jarring, but it was very effective. And many people came back, even even though we're closed after Christmas for one Sunday, we reopened in January. A lot of people came back. It just drove a great start. And people are, are you know, at that time looking for a new tradition. You know, I got to lose weight. I got to get back on track. I got to get my family back on track. I got to get back on track spiritually. And we just told them, well, here, here's how you can do it. So that's been incredibly effective for us. I hope some of those ideas are transferable to you. And thanks for asking about Christmas when it's still summer. It's a great time to ask. Okay, we're going to go to Gail Holt now, who's got a question. Hey, Carrie, this is Gail Holt again. I'm so thankful that you've taken my questions twice. I just had a question that I guess it sits really personal with me. What about us leaders who aren't necessarily type A and just over the top driven? And, you know, John Maxwell would probably have something disparaging to say about us. But we're still doing it, and we're still plugging along, and no, we're not going to make it into a magazine or anything. But, you know, lives are changed. You know, what? What? what is there for us? Uh, I, I love learning from the type A's, but, you know, sometimes I drive myself crazy trying to become that. So, I don't know, maybe that's just an idea. I, I'm sure you run into a lot of people. I don't know if maybe it's only the type A people that rise to the top or not, but... Thanks for listening to me. Talk to you later. Gail, I love your questions. And that's a challenging one because you asked an A-type guy to answer it. So I don't know. I, th- I think here, here's, here would be my question because I've thought about this one a lot. I don't think you should push yourself to be who somebody else is. but And this may be an A-type answer and you might just dismiss it entirely. But I think you should push yourself to be whatever you can be. Like God has given you potential. And I would think like parable of the talents, when you're done your life and you stand before God, is he going to say, okay, I gave you, you know, five or two or one. What did you do with it? Did you, did you double what you're capable of? So, you know, that might not be a church of 10,000 people or 100,000 people. It might be a church of 100 or 200. But like, did you do the best with what you had? So I wouldn't push yourself in a comparison scenario, to try to be somebody you're not, you know, for goodness sake, don't try to be me. I'm very driven and and I'm a little, you know, 
crazy sometimes. Don't don't try to be Andy Stanley. Don't try to be Craig Rochelle. Don't don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be the pastor down the street or this business leader you admire. Just be you. I had to give up. You know, I realized I'm not going to be Andy Stanley. I'm not going to be Craig Grishel. And we have a good sized church, but I'm probably not going to lead a church of 20,000 people. I had, to, I had to realize that, but then say, okay, well, what has God given me an ability to do? He's given me an ability to write. And so I blog in addition to writing messages. He's given me a start in radio when I was a teenager. And so I can do things like this podcast fairly easily in you know, this would be something that a lot of other people maybe couldn't do. And so it's not what other leaders do. It's like, what is my potential? And so I would probably ask that question for you, you know, what are you capable of? And then are you doing it? And I think at some level, that's probably going to mean that you're going to have to push yourself. Now, you may push yourself differently than other leaders, but I would want at the end of your life to be in a place where I could stand before God and say, I did everything I could with what you gave me. Thank you. And that's where I hope to be. And for all of us, it's going to look a little bit different. So thanks for that question, Gail. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And let's now go to a question from Jason. Hey, Gary, my name is Jason. I was uh, listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about metrics and how to how you determined that you needed to be doing more outreach. I just wondered how um, you came up with that uh, metric or, or, or what metrics you used to get to that point. Um, Love your podcast. Uh, Thanks for the encouragement. Hope to hear from you. Yeah, Jason, you know what? That actually came from Tony Morgan. And you can read him at Tony Morgan Live or the Unstuck Group. Uh, That's where he writes and that's what he leads. And Tony was consulting with us and, and he just shocked us by saying... For every single weekend attender you have on a typical weekend, you need one guest over the course of the year. So if you have an attendance, as we did when Tony was with us, of 1,100, you should have 1,100 guests, new guests, first-time guests over the course of a 12-month window. Well, our guest count wasn't that high. We had maybe 500, and yet we were in a year of double-digit growth. And so he was like, wow, that tells me you do not have a backdoor issue because we were thinking, why are we not growing faster? You know, the question all driven people ask themselves, is it that we have a backdoor issue? And when you do the kind of church that we have, guess what? One of the frequent criticisms of a church like us, which tends to be very open to unchurched people is, well, yeah, you have a lot of people through the front door, but you know, you have a gaping back door. Well, actually that's that's not true. We don't have a huge back door. Every church has some back door, otherwise you're a cult or a jail. But, you know, of course people are going to leave. But for us, it helped us diagnose that, no, we don't have a backdoor issue. So in order to figure that out, take your average weekend attendance, including children and volunteers, and then look at how many guests you have over the course of a year. To break even and have marginal growth, you should probably have a one-to-one ratio. You have 1,100 people on the weekend, you should have 1,100 guests over the course of a 12-month period. If you're lower than that, it's a surprise if you're growing. It shows that you don't really have a back door. You need a bigger front door. If you really want to grow exponentially, you probably want to be higher than that. So we're trying to get our guest count up to 1,500 people. And I know a lot of you are going to go, well, if you have 1,500 people, how come you don't have 1,500 more people attending your church every weekend? Because it just doesn't work that way. I mean, Jesus told the parable of the sower, I think, to keep preachers from jumping off cliffs, right? You sow some seed. And sometimes some of it lands on the hard ground, sometimes it lands on the rock, sometimes the weeds choke it out, and sometimes it falls on fertile soil. Ask anybody in sales, if you make 10 sales calls, you're not going to close 
all 10 deals. I mean, if you're in sales and you can close 40% of them, unbelievable. Most will get one or two. And I've heard before, I, I can't back this up, although I'm sure you can find false facts on the internet. That's pretty quick. But I'm pretty sure I read that uh, the difference between a declining church or a stuck church and a growing church is that growing churches keep two out of 10 visitors, stuck churches keep one out of 10. Now, whether that number is an exact science or not, I don't know, but I, I think that's what it's like. You know, you, you can look at that and go, well, you're losing 80% of the people who walk through your door. Well, some of them are visitors from out of town. Some of them were just there to check you out. Some of them, you know, were there for different reasons. And, and some of them, it's like the hard soil thing. It just didn't work out or we weren't the right people for you. Maybe they're going to find another church. That's okay. But what you want to do, what you want to do is you want to get more people in the funnel. You want to get more people through the front door. You want to expose more people to the gospel, and then hopefully some of it will stick. So we're going to try to hit. Right now, this year, we're on a one-to-one -one ratio. We're going to try to raise that even more this fall, and hopefully we'll have 1,500 new people through the door, and that will result in even greater growth. That's what we're hoping for. So uh, that's some of the background to those numbers. Really appreciate that question, Jason. Now we're on to the next question. Hey, Gary, I've been listening to the podcast from day one. Thank you so much. They are very, very helpful. Just finished your book, Lasting Impact. And as I wrestle with this with our team, we have a question, and that is, what does it look like specifically to engage the millennials during your church service or during your experience that you have on Sundays, Saturday nights? Any ideas along that line would be very helpful. Thank you. Rick, amazing. A podcast listener from day one. Thank you for being there at the ground floor at Ground Zero with Andy Stanley on the first day of the podcast. That's great. Um, honored to answer your question as part of the celebration of the two-year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you for reading Lasting Impact. I continue to be surprised at, at how well that book continues to do and how many teams are using it and leaders are appreciating it. So millennials, what does it look like to engage millennials during your church service? I just want to say, from where I sit, millennials have to be the church. I visit a lot of churches and meet a lot of church leaders who are like, we're trying to develop this program for millennials. Okay, great, great, great. Millennials turn 36 or 37 this year. Like, look at the demographic. This is not some young people's program. They are adults. They're, you know, they're 18 to 35, 18 to 36, 37, whatever. I mean, this should be your church. They should be preaching. They should be on stage. We don't really have a regular millennial in the rotation, but I'm working on it. Uh, they lead worship at our church. They are the band. They are the volunteers. They are the key leaders. They are doing ministry. They are the ministry. And we are very intentional. Jeff Brody and I, the lead pastor at Conexus, I'm the founding teaching pastor these days. You know, we are working very hard to make sure that it is millennials who are not just attending our church, but leading our church, because it's extremely important to pass leadership to the next generation. Now, what are some things that work for millennials? Uh, you can see that there are all kinds of different churches knocking it out of the park with millennials. For example, in a very near episode, I think next Tuesday, you're going to hear from Kara Powell. Kara Powell has fascinating research on churches that are crushing it with young adults. And guess what? They come in every shape and size and denomination and color and everything. And there is no one size fits all. But what you will discover about churches that are reaching millennials is it's not so much a program-based approach that's connecting with them. It's a value thing. So if you're open 
and honest and transparent and authentic and you allow doubt and you have dialogue and you have questions. Millennials love that. They love relationship. And so we try to elevate those values at our church. We try to be, I try to be the kind of leader that's open and authentic and transparent. And I admit my mistakes and I, I tell people I don't have it all figured out. I mean, obviously I have some things figured out. Otherwise I shouldn't be teaching and preaching, but I don't want to go up there with a polished veneer where people go, oh man, you're not even real. No, I'm very real. And I make mistakes every single day as a leader, as a human being, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father. And I want to be able to talk about those in a way that helps people. So you want to be authentic. You know, as I've said numerous times, people admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. So they go, oh, that's good for you. But man, when you told me about that time you failed, whoo, I resonate with that. So my short answer, Rick, is I think millennials are the church. And if they're not the church, you got to ask yourself, well, why? And so when people say, what's your program for young adults? It's like, it's called church. Just come to our church. That's what our program is. So that's my answer to that, Rick. And thanks again for being on board from day one. All right, we got a couple more questions today. We're going to go to Tammy, who's got one for us. Hello, my name is Tammy Zebel from Berrien Center Bible Church in Berrien Center, Michigan. My husband and I have been reading your book, Lasting Impact, and we're very interested with the chapter on volunteers with the use of your operations manual. And we were wondering if your church allowed or had access to something like that where another church could use it as a starting point um, to write an operations manual for their church. Thank you very much. Oh, Tammy, it would be great to get it all written down in a manual, wouldn't it? <laughs> I love that. Thanks for your question. Um, yeah, we have volunteer manuals depending on the department they serve. So if you're going to be a small group leader, you know, we'll give them a copy of Lead Small and train them in that. That's a book by Orange Resources. So uh, you can go to whatisorange.com org and you can have a look at that. So we give the manuals like that. And if you're going to be on guest services, you get a little handbook. But I think the bigger issue, honestly, is culture, that, that you need to figure out a culture. Because first of all, you should have some written training. It's not just like stand there and like hand out programs. You've got to be able to tell them exactly what to do and how to do it and what their responsibilities are on a Sunday. But I think what you, where the real money, where the real payoff comes, and in chapter four of Lasting Impact, I write a lot about working with volunteers. But for me, it's a culture thing. It's like, do you have a culture of really serving the guests? I mean, are you enthusiastic to be there? Are you opening the door for people? Is there a smile on your face? Are you really interested in people? Are you doing a job? You know, what is the win? Have you defined the wins for your small group leaders? So it's not just a job. It's like, okay, if you're leading a group of middle school boys and you don't get to question eight in the curriculum, that's not a loss. Your goal is not to cover the material. Your goal is to build a relationship. Well, how do you build a relationship? Well, you do that by hanging out with the kids and playing video games with them. And maybe you go to a game that they play at their school. Or, you know, maybe appropriately, you message them on Facebook or like something that they posted or, you know, follow them on Snap or whatever. And again, there's boundaries and guidelines around that. And you should have a policy about that for your church. We do about what are appropriate communications with kids um, offline and what are not. So, or I should say online, but I mean off Sunday. So you really want to have those procedures down, but I think it's a culture thing. And you can kind of tell, right? Like if you go into a store and people are just doing their jobs and it's like over there, you know, just 
aisle five, just walk over there and they're pointing, drives me crazy. You, you want a place where people walk you to the thing you're looking for, they help you decide. I'll give you an example. You know, I went to a department store that actually is not doing very well with my wife, but um, we needed to buy a mattress. We had to get a mattress. My son's going off to university again. He's going to take our mattress and we're going to get a new one. So uh, I went to this department store that does not have a good reputation, but there was an incredible salesperson there. And I mean, we walked in ready to buy. And an hour later, we left her a significant amount of money for a mattress and a foundation and for, you know, all the stuff that comes with that. Uh, She was so helpful. She was just great. She was extremely well-trained and you know, she'd been doing it for a lot of years. She was older, but but I could tell like she had lots of time for us. That's a culture thing. That's a right person thing. And even though the, though the store wasn't doing particularly well, uh, she was fantastic at what she did. And so you want to create a culture where everybody does well with that. You want to create a culture where everybody has that enthusiastic attitude. Uh, Chick-fil-A is a great example. When you walk in there, it's more than a chicken sandwich. It's a culture. You don't have 15-year-olds staring down at the till going, when am I going to be off? You've got people going, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. Uh, Let me bring that to you. How can I help you today? It's that whole thing. So I think culture is taught, but it's also caught. So you've got to model that as a staff person. And then we, if you go to connexuschurch.com, click on uh, watch or messages or on demand or whatever the tab is, go to a series called Doing Time. And I actually spend six weeks teaching through our cultural values, things like battle mediocrity and take the low place and uh, virtues like that, you know, values like that, that really are our values. So we've taken time to codify our values. And again, the series is Doing Time. Just go to connexuschurch.com and you can access that in the message section of the website. So I hope that helps, Tammy. And thanks for asking the question. All right. Our last question today comes from Jay Jones. Hi, Kerry. Uh, my name's Jay Jones. I'm a pastor in Kentwood, Michigan in the U.S. And I was reading an article recently uh, that you had posted, and it was titled, uh, How Pastoral Care Stunts the Growth of Most Churches. And in that article, you had mentioned that your church had an attendance of 2,300, um, or I'm sorry, you had a church of 2,300 uh, with attendance of around 1,100. And I just wondered uh, how, or I guess, or why uh, you use numbers in, in, that, in that fashion. So, uh, for example, our church currently has about 120 in attendance, but we would say that our membership is about, you know, 80 uh, to 90. Um, so the attendance is higher than what we would say our membership is. Um, should we be looking at numbers in a different way? Uh, I see that uh, you have about 1,200 people that aren't accounted for in your weekly attendance. Um, so if you could help explain that, I'd, I'd, it, it may be helpful for us. Thanks so much. Well, hey, Jay, thanks for the question. I think that's a sign of the changing times. So what do I mean by 2,300, or I think the number might be 2,500 or 2,600, who call our church home? What I mean by that is this. The people who run our database tell me that there are, for argument's sake, 2,500 people who are actively a part of Conexus. In other words, they've attended more than once over the last six months. They've given, they serve, they volunteer, but they're, you know, they're not just a name on the database. We have a lot more people 
who have visited or maybe did come for a while, but those are people who have shown some form of multiple active engagement over the last six months to a year. So that number for us is about 2,500. Now, our weekend attendance number is about 11, 1,200, uh, depending on the season. And what we mean by that is men, women, and children and volunteers who show up on a Sunday morning. So there were 1,200 people through the building, or there were 1,100 people through the building. But we have 2,500 people who call our church home, which is people who have had a touch point with us that's been more than once over the last six months. So that's what I mean by those numbers, because we don't really have membership, as I talked about in a previous bonus episode this week. So um, why do we use those numbers? Well, 23, 2,500 helps us understand who we're reaching on a regular basis. Those are people who would say, yep, Conexus is my home. 1,200 shows us the number of people that we're reaching on a typical Sunday. Now, that includes a handful of newcomers every week. Hopefully, you know, usually there's 10 new families or something like that. So I really believe, and this is a sign of the changing time, that even committed Christians are attending church less often. So I think a decade ago, if we had 2,500 people who called our church home, that might actually generate 1,800 attenders on an average weekend. Today, it seems to attract less. Now, this is not something that just our church is going through. It's something that virtually every church I talk to, in fact, I can't find an exception to it, everybody is going through this. And what they're struggling with is, oh my goodness, we have 3,000 people on the books who are like, you know, they're not dead, they're real names, they're, they're actually people who call our church home, but we have 1,500 people here on a Sunday. And what is that? It's just a sign that Christians are attending church less often. So I actually wrote a post on that uh, if you go to my blog, it's one of the top posts. It's just called uh, 10 Reasons Even Committed Church Attenders Are Attending Less Often. You can drill down a little bit more on that, but it's just a shift in our culture, and I think we need to be ready. So I look at our church, the people sort of in the seats on Sunday, over a thousand, but the people that we're actually ministering to and have an opportunity to touch, that's more like 2,500. Now, the more people who follow you on social media, the more people who are on your email list, the more people who follow you on Twitter or Instagram or channels like that, you see, the more you get that number up, the more you can touch those 2,500 people during the week. A decade ago, 20 years ago, you know, people didn't show up on a Sunday. You wouldn't hear from them and they wouldn't hear from you all week. Suddenly you have this ministry where even though they're not in the building, you can actually connect with them. So we want to try to grow our social media footprint, grow our database so that we can actually reach out to as many of those 2,300 and the 1,200 who would, you know, randomly be at church on a Sunday as often as possible so that we can be a presence in their lives. See, pastoring doesn't just have to happen. Sunday morning or in a coffee shop, it can happen online as well. So Jay, I hope that helps. And listen to all of you who continue to submit questions. We're just so grateful. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for making this podcast so much fun. So we're going to be back. There will actually be a Sunday episode. Are you ready for that? We're ready for a Sunday episode tomorrow. So again, if you subscribe, you'll catch them all. And tomorrow, we're going to look at like, how do you know your church will never change? We've got one listener who asked a question about being in a small town and taking over a church that has a terrible reputation. What do you do about that? Um, there's also a church merger question. One larger church, 100, merging with a church of 50. Any advice? Absolutely, there is some advice. And then we've got another question that we're going to tackle tomorrow, which I thought was really intriguing. It's actually about something I taught about when you get a device and I just got a brand new iPad. So how you use it in the first 10 days basically determines how you use it for the rest of its lifespan. 
Can that apply to the church? That's going to be a fun question to tackle. That happens tomorrow. As we continue these bonus episodes as a way of thanking you, the listener, for two years of incredible relationship here on the podcast. So a couple more bonus episodes, then we're back with the regular one on Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before, and we'll talk tomorrow. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.